this is a short dialogue from the transmission of the lamp. Case 31. Seng Chan said to Zen Master Huike, I'm riddled with sickness. Please absolve me of my sin. Huike said, Bring me your sins and I will absolve you. After a long pause, Seng Chan said, When I look for my sin, I cannot find it. Huike said, I have absolved you of your sin. You should live by the Buddha, the teaching, and the community. So today marks the entry point to our full angle. Right? It's a time to ignite. It's a time in which we should ignite the fire of our determination. So we can learn individually and collectively how to raise the level of awareness and attentiveness. A time to recognize self-deception. A time to bring forth all that is true. So to raise awareness, what does it mean to, to raise the level of awareness? Are we raising something for the sake of something or are we raising it for the sake of raising it? Is it about what we are aware of? What is awareness? Right? It means to, first of all, be willing to face what arises. Right? Awareness is something that illuminates. So there is awareness itself and there is what it illuminates. But if we're not willing to face, then nothing will actually, what we'll do is we'll do the opposite of raising the level of awareness. We will suppress it without being aware that we are suppressing it. Because we don't truly want to see and face the truth, reality. Whatever the truth may be for you or however the truth manifests in your life. And it does. Whatever it is that you think is holding you back, maybe it's things that happened in the past, maybe things that are happening today. Whatever you refuse to be aligned with, to be in agreement with, the evidence is there for us. And it shows up. It shows up in the way we live our lives. It shows up in the way our body reflects what we reject. So there's no way to deny even when we try. 
So, to raise the level of awareness means to embrace the whole enchilada. Package deal. Whether you like it or not. And then, it means to work with what arises. In fact, only, only by not denying or rejecting what arises, or how we feel about it, we can create an opening for change. Or for recognizing change. That is to say, by being aware of inner stagnation and taking the responsibility to work with it, we become aware of a larger and flowing sense of reality that is there at all times. It's just that we are not aware of it. Why aren't we aware of it? Maybe we are aware of something else. Maybe our attention is hijacked by something else. We are aware of something. We are responding to something in us. And what we do in the practice is learn to distinguish between what we are responding to and what we choose to respond to. We speak often about raising awareness. But what is it that is raising? What is coming up? What is being raised or being elevated? And all the words that we use. And words are great, but they can be also very tricky. Because we may think we know what it means. And by thinking it, we may know what it means, we actually find ways to not do it. Same with ango, ango commitment, right? You know, and this is something that uh, every time we're about to enter an ango, I, I think about it and I try to think of ways we can do it differently. Because if we don't, then again, we are just deceiving ourselves. You know, I'm entering a three months ango, okay, I'll fill out a form. But it doesn't mean anything. I'll write a few words on a piece of paper because I have to, because somebody is asking me to do that. And, well, I want to be part of that group, so I'll do it. Well, don't do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do anything. What you have to is want to do. You have to want to do what is required. And it is required. So you are required to be in alignment with doing it. Which means when you are taking on commitments, you have to be aware of what you are committing to. And you have to be willing to face consequences of your commitments. Rather than face a little discomfort a week or two into Ango and then find excuses to back off your commitments. I'm not telling you what, well maybe I'm suggesting, but I'm not telling you what to commit to. Essentially, it's your decision. But I am telling you that if you want to really commit, then you must 
be willing to work with the consequences of your commitment. Because otherwise you're wasting your time. So what is awareness? Is it a state of being? Is it an inner quality? And what does it come out of? We, we raise it from where? Where do we look for it? Do we even know where to begin? I raise awareness. It's a funny thing, awareness. You know, it's like we see the illumination of it, but we don't see it. It's like wind. You can't see wind, but you see what wind does. You experience what wind does, but go ahead, point at wind. Try to figure out what it is. Where is it? So what is awareness? It's very elusive. It's very difficult to define. But we can experience it. We can experience something different, a different quality that is appearing sort of out of nowhere in us as an experience. So while awareness itself is contentless, right? It does not have content. It gives us the ability to perceive contents from a vantage point of a bird's eye. We're able to perceive what's going on from a place of air, from a place of sky, from a place of vastness, from a place of no place. And yet, what we are aware of is very much placeful, tangible, real, or at least for us. So being free of the content it illuminates, is it possible that awareness is arising out of formlessness so we can learn to navigate through form with wisdom. Can pure awareness, and we speak of pure awareness as just pure awareness, can pure awareness, as elusive as, and as undefinable as it may seem, be a direct link to our true and formless nature? Can this be who we are? And if it's not, then again, where will it arise from, out of? How could we even give rise to it? Where does it come from? We have a koan, in the miscellaneous koan list. Where does wind come from? Where does rain come from? What is the color of wind? We have many koans that nudge us in that direction, to look in that direction, and we have to listen. We have to obey something else other than the same old impulses. So if it is a way to 
directly linked to our true nature, if it is? How can we manifest pure awareness in everyday life? How can we be more connected to that state of pure awareness while we are dealing with, actually, while we are dealing with moments of being aware or moments of not being aware? Because we are, and we will keep dealing with variety of moments right, in which so, some of them we will be lost and some we will be with our eyes open. Close our eyes, we open them. We close our eyes and we open them again and again and again. Sometimes by volition we open, sometimes they just open. Sometimes we are shocked by something. We are short-circuited and the eyes open up. Maybe for a split second, maybe for an hour. And at that moment, or at that hour, how can we deepen this? How can we trust and obey that rather than what we experience when our eyes are closed? There's a lot there for us to study. There's just so much to study on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Just study you. Right? As Dogen said, you know, the practice is turning the light inwardly towards you. So it shines brightly on who you are. Don't be so concerned about other people's Affairs. Don't blame others. Take responsibility. As we do in an Ango, we take responsibility. Enough is enough. Right? Enough is enough. We say enough is enough and okay. It's time to shake it up. It's time to shake it up and it doesn't always appear this way because quite often I see practitioners who are dedicated and yet go through an angle with the eyes closed. In fact, begin it with the eyes closed and end it with the eyes closed. And maybe then Mark check. I've gone through, we should have t-shirts. I've survived an angle. Right, that will be good. And I think you know, many, most people, I would say, fluctuate between moments or maybe you know, glimpses of awareness, and then times of being clouded. It just happens, and it happens in most cases not through volition. And usually, these fluctuations are driven by changing circumstances when things are aligned in the right way, then, you know, we get glimpses of awareness and then things are not aligned the right way, it's gone. It is swallowed by what's going on, or I'm swallowed by what's going on. But as practitioners, for us, as practitioners, you know, we focus on cultivating a state of pure awareness as a potential, as a potential that permeates our daily life in a non-judgmental way. So in other words, we don't just become aware of what we, are, we find enjoyable and then shut down when 
dealing with unpleasant or undesirable situations. We take on the responsibility to practice being aware just for the sake of being aware. That's it. That is the destination. So it's not means to an end. It's not, I'm aware so I can fill in the blank. In fact, I'm aware so I don't fill in the blank. I'm aware so I can be satisfied with the blank. I'm aware so I can recognize and realize that water, plain water, is flavorful, has a lot of flavor. So I can be okay with things as they are. So I can be okay with this one here, the one sitting on this cushion, just like that. And then open up the road to changing, to deepening, to doing the work we need to do. So it's a funny thing in our practice because from the moment you begin, you're told you're there. Right? From the moment you begin, you're told you're a Buddha. Not only that, but you're told that if you are denying that, you are actually disparaging the Buddha. If you deny your own Buddhahood. And at the same time, we're told that you got to work your butt off to express it, to express it correctly. You got a lot of work to do to bring about what is already there. And it's good, it's good to realize that, to recognize that, even if we just hear it and don't believe it, it's good to recognize that because it's helping us not rush through the work. It's helping us realize that we are not doing the work to get anywhere else. We are doing the work to bring about what is already there. So again, awareness for the sake of awareness, not for the sake of anything else. And then what needs to happen, happens. And then we are guided. If we trust it, we are guided by it. And somehow we know what to do. We just know what to do. Quite often, you know, I, I put myself in this situa different situations, different challenges. I create things and I don't know how to deal with them. But I know I created it. Okay, now let's see how it goes. Let's see what I do. And somehow things show up. Things show up, people show up, circumstances move and change, and it gets figured out. I can't even say that I figure it out. It just gets figured out. It works itself out. And there's a lot of learning, too. I learn. I learn to trust. I learn to put my trust in the flow. I learn to get out of the way and a heck of a lot more than that. But primarily it happens because of getting in touch with something deep and allowing it to guide. 
to guide what I call me, whatever that is. To let the unknown guide the known, or to let the unknown shed light on the known. Maybe that's awareness. I don't know, and I'm not trying to define it, obviously. I just, I want us to get comfortable with not defining, I want us to get comfortable with residing in, in, a, in a place of no place, in a place that has no walls, floor, ceiling, a place that has no you and I, a place that nothing is born and nothing dies. function from there. So we raise the intention today to cultivate awareness by willingly entering a three months ango period, right? And during this period, we learn to become more aware of awareness itself and more in touch with the contents of our lives. Right? which is exactly how we do the work, or where we do the work. And for this period to be transformative and effective, we all, we have to put our trust in the practice itself, right? Because the practice is there to help us recognize, realize. It's a practice of realization. Everything in the practice is, well, in a way, saying the same thing. Everything is there to tell you, wake up, wake up, wake up, snap out, don't doze off, don't fall asleep. It's also telling you, here's what you resist. Here's the problem, here's the issue. Over and over. You know, so we have to turn towards the practice and trust it. Trust it fully, as I mentioned in the last day show. Right? That means to fully take on all aspects of practice, all facets, rather than pick and choose. And it means to trust the practice more than we trust our thoughts and opinions, more than we trust our emotions, our storyline, or our personal past. And I think it is a giant undertaking. I mean, it definitely is, because it's, it feels like we go against the grain. And I think there are times that every cell of our body is saying, don't do that. Don't go. This is stupid. You're wasting your time. Your body may be screaming at you. Yet, that's the time of practice. That's the moment. And that's the moment that you are going to subdue that screaming tyrant in you. How do you subdue it? How do you subdue it? Shoot it down? Trap it? Box it? Tie it to something? No. You subdue it by not listening by not obeying it, by obeying something else. Maybe by obeying a commitment you made, 
a week ago, a month ago, two months ago. By action. By taking a different action than it wants you to do. That's how you subdue it. So what we have to do is get beyond what we have come to trust, what we have come to rely on. And that's why it feels like we're going against the grain. Because, you know, pure and naked reality is, is never hidden. It's never hidden, but the, the problem is that every time we meet pure and naked reality, we also encounter a self that holds on to a personal and filtered version of reality. And then more often than not, that's the version we tend to trust. Because that's the most familiar version for us. That's me. That's what I know. That's what I've come to trust. And I'm going to hold on to that. That brings us back to Seng Tsun. Seng Tsun later on became the, the third patriarch of Zen. Uh, you, you, you probably remember uh, his famous poem, Trust in Mind which I've quoted a bunch of times. If you don't have that poem, by the way, then let me know and I will email it to you. It's important, very important teaching for us. So, Seng Tsan here, at this point of the story, this dialogue, he came to Huike. Huike was the, the student of uh, Bodhidharma and the successor of Bodhidharma. So he came to Rika and presented a, a complete story. Here is what I come to you with. And at that time, his story had leprosy in it too. And that was real. He actually suffered leprosy. And he was convinced somehow that the disease was caused by his sins of the past. He believed that he is karmically bound to suffer. And yet, and yet there was at the same time a spark of awareness in him that led him to go see Huike. And he trusted it. He trusted it. So he showed up. Not denying the story. Not denying the fact that he was diseased. He came as is with the story, with the disease, with feeling trapped. But something was also arising in him, bodhicitta, the willingness or the desire to awaken. There are many voices in us, many kinds of energies, many seeds, many seeds. So Seng Tsan, by doing that, by showing up already, started to nourish the seed 
of wisdom in him. By not going with the grain that told him, here is why you have a disease. With that, he already started to nourish, to nurture something else in him. And at the same time, he took away nourishment from the seed of delusion that is creating or has created the story. See, with one action, by showing up, with one action, he, he did two things. He took away food and he fed. He nourished and he stalled. And we have to do that. We have to stall something in us. Something that is screaming at you. Give me more and more and more and more. Give me, give me, give me. And the more you dump there, the more it wants. The more you dump, the more you want. And it doesn't end. Not only it doesn't end, it doesn't work. I mean, look at the state of our world. If that would work, everything would be just fine. Because what everybody's doing. But it doesn't work. We're arguing with everything, we're fighting everything, we're destroying other people, we're destroying our planet. That's the proof, isn't it? That doesn't work. So maybe we should go against the grain. As Seng Tsang did, and many others in our tradition has done, have done. So what he did was a choice. He, he made a choice to trust alongside with his perpetuating beliefs, right? He made a, a choice to trust the arising bodhicitta in him, a pulsating energy. And it is a pulsating energy that when given the right nutrients and conditions begins to awaken to itself. It has it in it. It has what it needs to awaken. If we pay attention, if we are aware of it, if we trust, if we nourish it properly. Hence, the practice. All aspects of practice. It is nourishment, but not to what you want, at least at the beginning. It is already nourishing something. The fact that you're here is already or the fact that you, all, you may be listening to this talk somewhere else around the country, around the world, is already telling you that you have begun that process. But there are no guarantees that the process will just go on by itself. You've got to keep at it, day in, day out. Keep at it, no matter what. Make it the primary aspect of your life. then it will. It will gain momentum. And it will become a huge force in your life. <clears throat> Thich Nhat Hanh wrote this, which is very fitting. We practice meditation to train the mind in direct perception, in correct perception. 
When we meditate, we look deeply into our perceptions in order to find out their nature and to discover the elements that are correct and the elements that are incorrect. If you're not mindful, if you're not aware, you will believe that your perceptions, which are based on prejudices that have developed from the seeds of past experiences in your store consciousness, you will believe that those are correct. When we have a wrong perception and continue to maintain it, we hurt ourselves and others. In fact, in fact, people kill one another over their different perceptions of the same reality. Back to 9-11. A very loud statement. People kill one another over the different perceptions of the same reality. We are the same, we are one, yet we have a notion of being different. I look different. I must be different, you know, there's a I have different opinions, different age, different gender, color. The same reality. You know, the, the yoga chala, which means yoga chala means the application of meditation. Yoga chala school teaches. In order to understand this process better, we need to look at that. We have to understand how this works because we have to study. And this is what we do. We do it in anger, we do it before anger, we do it after anger. We always keep doing that. We study the way we act and react. Because what we see in the world is what we see in us. And the way to work on, what, on the, the diseases of the world is to work on our own manifestation of it. So the teachings of the Yogacara, that was the early Mahayana school, studying the nature of consciousness, was also referred to as mind-only or consciousness-only school. So according to the Yogacara, our mind has eight aspects, or we can say eight consciousnesses. And I'm reading partially for, I'm quoting partially from Thich Nhat Hanh's writings about that. He said, the first five are based, on, based in the physical senses. They are the consciousnesses that arise when our eyes see form, our ears, our ears hear sound, our nose smells an odor, our tongue tastes something, or our skin touches an object. Now, the sixth one, the mind consciousness, arises when our mind contacts an object of perception. And the seventh one, manas, is a part of consciousness that gives rise to and is the support of mind consciousness. So it gives rise to it and it supports it at the same time. Now, the eighth, the store consciousness, is the ground or base of the other seven consciousnesses. And then it goes on to say that store consciousness has three functions. The first 
This is what we have to look at, because at the level of stall consciousness, we can understand why we act in mad ways. And also, we can understand how to change the course of our lives. So it's very important to look at that. So it says it has three functions. The first one is to store and preserve all the seeds of our experiences. The seeds buried in our stall consciousness represent everything we have done. Ever. Everything we have ever experienced or perceived. The seeds planted by these actions, experiences, and perceptions are the subject of consciousnesses. The stall consciousness draws together all these seeds just like a magnet attracts particles of iron. That's what it is designed to do. The second aspect of stall consciousness is the seeds themselves. Stall consciousness is, at the same time, both a storehouse and the contents that it is stored in it. The seeds are thus called, are also called the object of consciousness. So when we say consciousness, we are referring to both the subject and the object of consciousness at the same time. And the third aspect, the third function, sorry, the third function of store consciousness is as a store for the attachment to a self. Now this is extremely important. And it says, this is because of the subtle and complex relationship between manas, the seventh consciousness, and the store consciousness. Now what he's saying here is that manas arises from the store consciousness turns around and takes hold of a portion of store consciousness and regards this grasp part as a separate entity of a self. And that's, that's the root cause of the mistake or the error that we live by. We are convinced that there is such a thing that is called me. And we work very hard to protect and defend it. And yet, we know. We know that ultimately, it doesn't matter what we do. But I think it was Suzuki who said, life is like embarking on a boat that you know will sink at some point you know it's going to sink. That's great teaching, isn't it? You embark on a boat that you know will sink. So what do you do? And then it says, much of our suffering results from this wrong perception on the part of manas. Now this is taken from 50 short verses that uh, were put together earlier, earlier in Buddhism. And uh, one of them says, our mind is a field in which every kind of seed is sown. Seeds of compassion, joy and hope, seeds of sorrow, fear and difficulties. And every day our thoughts, words, 
thoughts, words, and deeds, plant new seeds in the field of our consciousness. Now this is, this is the storehouse, the store consciousness. That's where the seeds are sown. So there's no way to avoid having seeds there. Well, there's no way to avoid having all kinds of seeds there. And there's no way to avoid having new seeds being thrown into that mix. There's no way to avoid, as long as we are alive, it happens. But there's no need to avoid it. It's just the way it works. So every day our thoughts, words, and deeds plant new seeds in the field of our consciousness. And what these seeds generate becomes the substance of our life. Now this is important, what these seeds generate. And again, what do you feed? It's not the fact that the seeds are there. It's which seeds are fed, which seeds are, will come to fruition. It's fine to have seeds of anger as long as you're not feeding them. It's okay. It's not wrong. It's not wrong or right. It's just the way it is. But if you are aware of it, if you're aware of it and you understand the mechanism, then you choose kind words when you feel like you want to go kill somebody. And then you feed something else in you. And then you're not feeding something as well at the same time. One action does both. One word. One thought. So there are both wholesome and unwholesome seeds in our mind field, sown by ourselves and by our parents. Schooling, ancestors, society. If you plant wheat, wheat will grow. If you act in a wholesome way, you will be happy or you will experience happiness. This is from Thich Nhat Hanh, so the language, I don't know how, much of, how many of you have read Thich Nhat Hanh's language, but that's his style of teaching. It's beautiful. If you act in an unwholesome way, you will water seeds of craving, anger, and violence. Well, you will water the three poisons in yourself and in others. Well, that's important to recognize the three poisons, in, to recognize, and not to say, no, I'm not, I don't have those. I don't have greed, anger, ignorance. No, that won't be true. There are seeds in you. Recognize it. Be at peace with that. When it says the practice helps us identify all the seeds in our consciousness, and with that knowledge, we can choose to water only the ones that are most beneficial, not just for ourselves, for ourselves and others, to the world. And I, this morning, when we started, we began, I asked all of us to devote, to dedicate our practice to the memory of those who lost their lives in 9-11, but also to the root cause, to devote our practice to see and eradicate the root cause of such actions. And that's what it is. 
as we cultivate the seeds of joy and transform seeds of suffering in ourselves, understanding, love, and compassion will flower. Right? This, the teachings of there's a lot more there. The teachings of the Yoga Chara are deep and profound, and and I may explore more of that in other talks. I may lace it through future talks, but but for now. The main, as main two aspects I think we have to look at are first the illusion of separate existence, separate self that is created by the interaction between the seventh consciousness and the eighth consciousness. Between manas and the eighth consciousness which is alaya vijnana. Alaya vijnana is the Sanskrit word for the eighth consciousness. Alaya, by the way, is abode and vijnana is consciousness. So it's the abode of the consciousness. The Himalaya, by the way, is also from there, Alaya. Is the, and him, Hima is snow. So it's the abode of snow. So, just a small connection there in the language. And the second aspect, the recognition that our store consciousness, the eight consciousness, holds all kinds of seeds. And the ones we nourish are the ones that will flourish. So first, no separate existence. And second, choose. Choose wisely. Choose what you, wanna, what you think about. What you focus on. Choose, what you, choose the words you use. Definitely choose your actions. So those two aspects, right? Those two aspects also we can see that they represent the two basic teachings of the Buddha. No separate or interdependent origination, no separate existence, and causality, karma. The two basic fundamentals of Buddhism. Right there. In different words. Same thing. And this leads us directly to the beginning of the Eightfold Path, right understanding, or right view. Right? It's a view that is seen through the practice of the last teaching in the Eightfold Path, right concentration, zazen. So the beginning and the end are one. We sit so we can realize and then we understand why we sit. We keep generating the power, the strength to make the right choices at the right time. We generate the strength to not feed certain seeds in us. It must, be, it, it must happen in this way. We must sit and look and observe. Or we go mad and we create more madness. You know, Seng San was convinced that he is trapped by his past. Maybe his actions, his parents, upbringing, circumstances. Being yelled at a, by a school teacher. Being bullied by other kids. Or any other events that happened before today. So Huike went to the heart of the matter and said, 
Fine, bring me. Bring me your sins. Show me. If you're so convinced that it, whatever it may be for you, is holding you back, then it should be easy to point at it. Show it. I'm trapped. By what? Really? I'm limited. Really? Look again. I can't do this. How many stories we keep telling ourselves over and over again and, and how many times we believe the stories to be true. Or maybe we keep telling the stories over and over again because we know that if I stop telling the story, maybe I won't believe it anymore. If I, if I stop telling the story to myself and to others, maybe it won't be true. Try. Maybe it won't be true. Try something different. Try trusting something different. What, what Huica is asking us to do is examine our fixed notions in regards to circumstances and conditions and our fixed idea of a separate self that can be held back. And if there is no separate self, who is held back? Who is held back? Now, you know, Huica didn't do anything special here. You know, and he definitely didn't do the work for Seng Tsan. He just asked Seng Tsan to examine the assumption, which he did, as it is described in the dialogue. It says in the dialogue, after a long pause, he said. It says after a long pause. Now, we don't know how long that pause was. Maybe five minutes, maybe five months. Maybe more, I don't know. After a long pause. But it's telling us he took the time. It's telling us he did not automatically answer, oh, I know why. I can show you. And then go back to the past and then again and again tell the story. He didn't do that. He took the responsibility to examine. And he came back and said, when I look for myself, I cannot find it. I don't know what it is that is holding you, me back. Right? But he asked the question with the willingness to go to where it hurts. And, and, and this makes all the difference in the world. To ask the question with the willingness to want to do the work. Not just to ask in order to, to verify what you think you know. Then don't ask. Don't bother. If you want to ask a question, then be willing to hear what you don't want to hear and be willing to be directed to what you're trying to run away from. Don't argue. Look, examine, work, work hard. This is a marvelous example, I think, of how we need to uphold the practice. This is what we need to do. So after Seng Chan realized some level of freedom after this dialogue, right? Freedom of, of his beliefs, from his beliefs. We instructed him further and said, okay, now, 
Now, you should live by the Buddha, the teaching, and the community. Now you begin practicing. The three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Right? And this is what I'm asking us to do, this Ango. To turn to the teachings, to turn to the, the basics, to the core of our tradition. And to live by the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, it means to, to trust the inherent perfection of who you are. To turn to the teaching for guidance and inspiration and to appreciate each other. Each other. As, as a part of practice community. We form practice community that falls apart unless you show up, unless you take on the responsibility to practice. It falls apart. That's why it's a treasure. It has to be treasured by us. So let's do that. Let's do that together. And I emailed a few things last night that we all have to look at and study. The Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Sixteen Bodhisattva Precepts, the Four Immeasurables, the Five Remembrances, and the six paramitas. There's more. But that's enough for now. Dive into that. You know, Dongshan once said in a verse, though the students are many, not one is enlightened. And he said, the mistake lies in pursuing the path of others' tongues. Other. Who is the other? Who do you believe? And then he said, if you want to be able to forget physical form and obliterate tracks, work hard to diligently walk in the void. Work hard to walk in the void, to function. Nowhere, right here, to function in and from pure awareness. Work hard and diligently. In case you don't know that, this means ango. That's what you're taking on today. Today we are finishing with Ango commitment with Ango opening ceremony. That's what it means. So let's do that. Let's all help each other. We're doing it like that. We're doing it publicly for a reason. So there is some accountability to what you say. Just mumble it and go about doing the same thing over and over again. No. We're doing it because we know what it takes. And we know how stubborn we are. We know that we have to shatter that resistance. So let's end with that. End the station with that and begin the anger with that. To work hard. Well, let's listen to Dong Shan then. All of us to work hard to diligently walk in the void. <laughs> 
Thank you.